Well, tonight we're going to continue in our series that we're calling Holy Habits, Six Ways to Grow in Godliness, and I trust this has been a, an encouraging series, a challenging series, a, a helpful series, very practical series for our summer, uh, kind of what we're thinking about during the summertime. Usually when our disciplines go out the window or go on vacation, right, uh, we're kind of re-emphasizing some, some of the basics of the Christian life. And I wanted to, uh, just by way of introduction tonight, in- encourage you with something that I was encouraged by uh, this, this, uh, this uh, afternoon. Um, I got a text from my daughter, uh, Hannah, and she's reading uh, this summer the book, um, The Pursuit of Holiness by Jerry Bridge, is a classic book talking about this whole subject matter and so um, she she sent me a little text here that said how appropriate with one of those little emoticons what do you call those things emojis Emojis? yeah a little emoji guy a little happy face I don't have those on my phone because I think they're for girls but (laughs) sorry guys if you got emoticons or whatever they're called you need to repent okay um or, or give us your man card, all right? Either one. <laughs> anyway, so she sent me, she said, how appropriate, and she took a, a picture of the page uh, uh, that she was reading, and, and I thought it was so appropriate. This is what it says, if I can read this small writing, right? Uh, this is Jerry Bridges. As unbelievers, we formally gave ourselves to developing habits of unholiness, what Paul called ever-increasing wickedness, Every time we sinned, every time we lusted, coveted, hated, cheated, or lied, we were developing habits of ever-increasing wickedness. These repeated acts of unrighteousness became habits that made us, in fact, slaves to sin. But now, Paul declared, just as we formerly gave ourselves to these wicked habits, so we're to give ourselves to developing habits of holiness. And Hannah wrote in her margin, holy habits, right? Um, how appropriate. And of course, this is from Romans six nineteen, where Paul says, I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh, for just as you presented your members, the members of your body, your hands, your feet, your eyes, you know, your ears, uh, as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in, guess what? Sanctification or holiness. And so uh, he goes on, he says, we're to put off our old self, our sinful disposition and its habits, and put on the new self with its character and habits of holiness. To train ourselves in godliness, 1 Timothy 4, 7, is to discipline and structure our lives so that we develop godly habits. Good stuff, huh? So if you haven't never read that book before, The Pursuit of Holiness by Jerry Bridges, I want to encourage you Uh, to get a copy and read it, because that's just a little taste of what uh, you'll be exposed to uh, as as you read it. But we're talking about really the disciplines of the Christian life, the the, 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 maybe the most important things that uh, the Lord has uh, granted us um, that we can do to, to grow in godliness, to become more like God. And, and the way you become more like someone is to spend time with someone. And really all these disciplines that we've been talking about are just other ways or, or creative ways to spend time with God. Spend time with Jesus Christ. And as you spend time in His presence, you become conformed to His image. And so we said the first um, discipline, probably the most important discipline of the Christian life, is to listen to God, and we do that how? By reading His Word, right? We read His Word on a daily basis, and we listen to God. He speaks to us through His Word. Uh, secondly, we said uh, we need to learn to talk to God, which is uh, what? Prayer, right? Uh, the discipline of prayer. And then we talked about how we need to um, engage uh, with the people of God, which is being plugged into the, to the local church, and that's a huge part of our growth and godliness, uh, we will never become like Christ apart from the body of Christ. That's huge. And then last week, Billy talked about uh, talking to others about God. Evangelism, right? Was that what Billy preached on last week? I hope so, because that's what I told him to preach on. So you better have done what I said. No. So yeah, so talking to other people about God. Listen, you want to grow in Christ's likeness, you talk to as, as many people as possible about Christ. And that's a way to grow in godliness and grow in Christ's likeness is to be talking about Christ all the time with everybody you come into contact with. 
and, and leading them to Christ. And so um, that's a very important discipline. Now tonight we're going to talk about a discipline that uh, I would not be surprised um, if there were some of you that have never, ever even practiced this discipline. I mean, you, you, you have never even thought about doing this, let alone developed a habit of doing it, okay? So we're talking about holy habits, okay? I'm saying that probably most Christians today haven't even got to the place of even doing this once, let alone developing a habit. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Fasting. Fasting, that's right. And you're like, well, I do that every night after dinner. I fast all the way till the morning. And, uh, what are you talking about? I'm in the habit of doing that. Um, that was Billy's excuse anyway. <laughs> I, I confronted him this morning as we were eating breakfast tacos. How come we're not fasting this morning? Oh, yeah, we're eating breakfast tacos. We can't fast. I feel very dumb, honestly, <laughs> talking about fasting tonight because uh, you know when you're on vacation, you do, that's the last thing you're thinking about is fasting. You're like, what else can we eat? Where, where else can we eat? We, we, have we eaten yet today? Let's, let's eat again. You know, it's like the whole vacation revolves around eating something, right? And you go somewhere to eat, and then you go somewhere else to eat, and then you got to get something to eat, and, right? So anyway, I feel dumb <laughs> talking about fasting tonight. I feel like a hypocrite um, because I haven't been doing this recently, obviously. But anyway, how, how many of you, honestly, okay, let's just be honest, and I'm not talking about dietary purposes here, okay? Because a lot of people today fast for dietary purposes. They're on juice fasts and things like that. But how many of you have, have, have honestly fasted, um, again, not to lose weight, but to gain Christ? Honestly, you've, you've fasted for spiritual purposes. And again, you're like, Ken, you're going to make us lose our reward. You're, if we're going to raise our hand, you're going against Scripture. We're not supposed to let anybody know we did it. It's a secret. No, seriously, I'm just curious. How many don't, and it's not, okay, you have fasted uh, once or twice or more uh, for, on some occasion for some spiritual reason, okay? Not many hands going up, okay? Uh, okay, there's a late one coming in. Okay, yeah, let me. Um, okay, how about this? How many of you are going to, you can raise your hands now because you're not going to lose any reward for this question, okay? How many of you have ever heard a sermon, a whole sermon on fasting? Anybody ever heard a whole sermon on fasting? Okay, the same people that have fasted, okay? That's good. That's, that's, a, that's encouraging, okay? You're, you're not just hearers of the word, you're doers of the word. How, how about this one? How many of you have ever read a book on fasting? Anybody? Okay, we got a few. And again, I'm not talking about doctor whoever, you know, who's trying to get you to lose weight fasting. I'm talking about, oh, Gerald, come on, man. You always got to be the smarty pants, don't you? He holds up the Bible. I read a book on fasting. He's a teacher's pet. He's a teacher's pet right there. Well, let me, let me read for you uh, a quote from uh, Donald Whitney's book uh, called The Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. It's the book we recommended at the beginning. It's, it's the book that this series is based on. And uh, listen to what he says in the opening lines of his chapter that he wrote on fasting. He said, fasting is the most feared and misunderstood of all the spiritual disciplines. For some Christians, fasting for spiritual purposes is as unthinkable as shaving their head or walking barefoot across a fire pit. It does kind of make you feel like you're a spiritual weirdo, right, if you're fasting. He said, the reason fasting is so misunderstood is due to the famine of contemporary awareness of it. And yet it's mentioned in Scripture more times than even something as important as baptism. Did you know that? The Bible talks more about fasting than it does about being baptized. Um, so you're saying, well, why are we eating Lenny's subs? Why don't we just be, get, have baptism and then we fast for the next hour and a half afterwards, right? A fellowship fast. I don't know how many people would come to that, right? That's not very popular. We're going to have a potluck fast uh, this Sunday night. Why don't you come? But you, you look at the Old Testament, right? Old Testament, uh, you see many of the faithful believers fasted. We're talking like Moses, Samson, Samuel, Hannah, David, Elijah, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, uh, Daniel, okay? That's the Old Testament. New Testament, you've got people like Anna, uh, John the Baptist, uh, John the Baptist's disciples. You've got a guy named Jesus, okay, who, who 
who fasted, Paul fasted, and many others fasted. You just look at church history. Uh, many of the early church fathers uh, were known for fasting. Uh, Martin Luther, John Calvin, John Wesley, George Whitfield, uh, others like Jonathan Edwards, David uh, Brainerd talks about it in his diary, prayer diary about how, he, how he devoted a day to prayer and fasting. And so uh, Whitney goes on here. He says this, Christians in a gluttonous, denial-less, self-indulgent society may struggle to accept and to begin the practice of fasting. I mean, you think he's being fair there in describing our society, our culture, that we're a gluttonous, denial-less, um, self-indulgent society, right? Uh, we were having fun today at lunch, and Alex West was talking about uh, all the pictures he's been taking uh, of these things here. Oh, who was it? Oh, Jackson, you're the one. I'm sorry. Alex was trying to take credit for it. Jackson's just waking up. He's like, oh, what? You're talking about me? So, Joe, yeah, we were talking about Jackson's like taking all these pictures of like big gulps, you know, and, and huge avocados and huge everything in, in here in Texas, right, and sending them back to his friends in Shanghai who have never seen drinks that size and things that size, right? I mean, that's just, we're an indulgent society, and we just take it for, for granted. He, Whitney says this, few disciplines go so radically against the flesh and the mainstream of culture as this one. But we cannot overlook its biblical significance, and we dare not overlook fasting's benefits in the disciplined pursuit of a Christ-like life. And so, with that in mind, I'd like to just kind of give you a general overview tonight of the discipline of fasting. And I've just arranged uh, what the Bible teaches about fasting under four headings. If you're taking notes, we're going to look at fasting explained, fasting exploited, Fasting expected and fasting expressed, okay? That's our little outline for tonight. Let's look first of all at fasting explained. Let me give you a definition of biblical fasting, okay? Biblical fasting is when a Christian voluntarily abstains from food for spiritual purposes, okay? Very important. Biblical fasting is when a Christian voluntarily abstains from food for spiritual purposes. Now, I say that because... Fasting is uh, used for a lot of things today. Um, it's a universal religious practice. Um, those of you that are kind of in tune with the, with the Islam, uh, with the Muslim world, you know that right this second, right, in the, in the Muslim world, uh, they're celebrating what? What month? Ramadan, which is all about what? Fasting. It's the month of fasting. And so they, they fast from sunup to sundown, right? And then afterwards, they just go crazy. <laughs> uh, eating whatever they want to eat. But it's a very strict uh, religious practice um, that the Muslims uh, practice uh, once a year. Hindu high castes, the Brahmins, uh, they subject themselves to severe fast for religious purposes. Um, fasting is often used as a political weapon. We've all seen the, the protester on the hunger strike, right? I'm not going to eat unless you listen to what I have to say, unless you pass this or do this. And so it's, it's used as a political weapon. Fasting has is, uh, is, is become a, a really a fitness craze, um, a, a popular fitness program. Juice fasting and, and you know, uh, what's that guy's name? We got sucked into the infomercial. We bought one. Jack LaLanne or whatever his name was, right? Uh, Remember that? <laughs> Kelly's like embarrassed. Yeah, you're right. We, we were, it was like, what they know, they, they put these infomercials out there like at 1130 at night and you're like, you're already zombified and you're like, you should be in bed, but you're still watching TV for some reason. And you're like drawn into this, this guy who's like 106 and he's like in totally great shape. And why? Because he, he drinks carrots and beets and you're like, okay, let's do that. Let's buy one of those. You know, <laughs> you're like, what did we do? You wake up the next morning and go, what did we just buy that? I can't believe it. We should have been in bed. What were you thinking? So, but anyway, it's pop juice fasting, right? Again, nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying don't equate what, we're ta- what the Bible talks about fasting with, with what you see on these infomercials necessarily. Why? Because none of these forms of fasting um, practiced by primarily unbelievers, right, have any eternal value because their motives and purposes are not Christ-centered. It's not for spiritual purposes. Uh, the kind of fasting the Bible talks about has nothing to do with ritual, has nothing to do with politics, has nothing to do with, with, with your, your physical health necessarily. Uh, the Christian abstains from food always and only for spiritual purposes. Now, 
that's basically a simple explanation of fasting. Let me just expand that for a second before we move on, um, because I think there's a broader view of fasting that's often overlooked, um, because we can, we can voluntarily deny ourselves anything for spiritual reasons. Um, we were, I was personally convicted, I'll just speak for myself, I was personally convicted um, reading the testimony of this pastor that looked way cooler than me in shorts and flip-flops, right? Uh, he was, a, he was a, a surfer, grew up in Carpentry, California, got saved, um, uh, and, and became a pastor. And, uh, and then his young daughter, I think she was eight or nine years old, died of cancer. Um, even has her name tattooed on his forearm, you know, in memory of her. And uh, he talked about their, their, their story and how they went to the Middle East to find some, um, some uh, care for, for their daughter, um, kind of some, uh, what do you call that when it's like, hasn't really been tested yet, trial drugs and trial treatment and things like that. Well, when they were there, they decided to go off all of social media. This guy's a very popular, well-known pastor. Uh, he said he would be on his phone all the time responding to tweets and posts and InstaFace and all the stuff that's out there. And, uh, you know, he's all on this stuff. And he said he just, he just stopped. And his whole family stopped. Um, and and they, when they came back um, to the States, they didn't want to get sucked back into it. So they decided we're not going to have internet in our house. Um, he, he bought himself an old flip phone uh, that just makes calls. Uh, you can't do anything else on it. And, um, and uh, he was just talking about how life-giving that decision was for them, that he didn't realize that he was missing out on life all around him, and especially his wife and his children, because he was always on his phone, right? And, uh, and so anyway, all that to say, that they basically decided to do away with that. Uh, you, you know, you've heard of the media fast, right? It seems like our culture is so media focused and you got TV in your face all the time and movies and, and, and the internet and sometimes it's like consuming. And, and, uh, and so maybe, you know, you could you say, you know what, I, I'm going to fast from the radio. I'm not going to turn the radio on in my car for, for a few days to see how that goes. I'm not going lo- to use the internet for a day. I'm going to try to not use the internet for an hour. I'm going to try to look, not look at my phone for five minutes. How's that? Right? I mean, this is kind of where it's at with, with a lot of young people in particular. I'm picking on the kids now, right? Uh, they just, they got their phones and it's just like they live with their phones in their hand, right? It's like, dude, is that thing connected? Is like, do we need to get that surgically removed from your hand or what? Um, but the point is to, to, to do a media fast and say, you know what? I'm not going to, whatever, for a week, I'm not going to listen. I'm not going to watch TV. I'm not going to go to a movie. I'm not going to, again, are you trying to be more spiritual than other people? No. It, it, the point is you're, you're thinking about things, right, that, that you could say no to, that you could deny yourself. Um, in fact, this is interesting. Um, if you're sleeping, you're going to wake up now because the Bible talks about having, uh, that, that married couples can have a sex fast. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 talks about a couple agreeing to, to not have intercourse for a season for the purpose of what? Remember? For prayer right, for a spiritual purpose, uh, and so that's just one example of somebody saying, hey, we're not going to do that for a while, why, because we want to pray, we have a spiritual purpose in mind, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, he said, fasting must not be confined to the question of food and drink, fasting should really be made to include abstinence from anything which is legitimate in and of itself for the sake of some special spiritual purpose, there are many bodily functions which are right and normal and perfectly legitimate, but which for special, particular, or peculiar reasons in certain circumstances should be controlled. That's fasting. So fasting in a general sense is, is really an effective way to determine whether or not something controls you. You ever, you ever wondered, you know, if you're controlled by that half gallon of Bluebell in your freezer, okay? So don't have it for a week. See if you can make it, all right? Without having that. Um, listen, if you can't live a few days without something, it's probably because you are controlled by it. For example, smoking cigarettes is not necessarily a sin. The Bible doesn't say thou shalt not roll up you know, leaves in a piece of paper and light it on fire and put it in your mouth. Okay, It doesn't say that. But it is a sin if you're under the control 
right? Um, it's, not, it's not a sin to post a selfie, okay? But if you can't go for a day or a week without posting a selfie, maybe that could be a sin issue in your life, right? Um, it's, not a, it's not a sin to drink coffee or to drink a Coke, but, oh, I just, or, or Dr. Pepper. What are you drinking there, Billy? Dr. Pepper there, okay? So it's not a sin for Billy to be drinking that Dr. Pepper, but if he can't, if, if he can't uh, go w- without one for a day or two or a week, right, maybe, maybe he's under control, right? He's under the control of that. Is that, is that true, Billy? I don't know. I'm just asking. Oh, you, you, you can say no. He just gave it to his wife. Here, honey, you finish this. <laughs> well, what am I saying? The, the Bible says that we shouldn't be controlled or mastered by anything. 1 Corinthians 6.12, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. And so, again, generally speaking, fasting is a good way to test to make sure you're not under anything's control. Um, So generally speaking, fasting is is voluntarily abstaining from anything for spiritual purposes, but strictly speaking, and what we're talking about mainly tonight is fasting is abstaining from food for spiritual purposes. Okay, so that's fasting explained. Uh, number two, fasting exploited. Now, obviously, like anything else um, uh, that, that God um, talks about in his word, um, it, men exploit it, men abuse it, men misinterpret it and misapply it. And so the Bible is very careful to warn us about people who, who legalistically demand abstaining from certain types of food. First uh, Timothy chapter 4 verses 1 through 5, talk about how uh, in later times some will fall away from the faith, they'll pay attention to deceitful spirits, doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars, seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron, men, okay, so these are false teachers he's describing here, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth for everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. For if it is sanctified by means of the word of God, uh, by means of the word of God in prayer. Uh, he's saying, hey, be careful. Watch out for people that forbid you from eating certain things and, and have a legalistic um, perspective on this. Colossians chapter 2, verse 20 talks about this. If you've died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourselves to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. These are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement, in other words, buffeting your body and fasting, going on these severe fasts and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. And so, again, the Bible is clear. Hey, don't, don't let anybody put some legalistic standard on you that you must fast every Thursday, 3 o'clock, you know, when you cannot eat this kind of food. If you are, you're sinning. You know, don't ever let anybody do that. At the same time, the Bible cautions us to to um, not swing in the other direction where we just um, indulge in whatever we want. And there's, there's plenty of that going on, obviously. Um, Romans chapter 16, uh, verse 18, talks about um, our appetites. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Christ, but of their own appetites. So there are some people that are just slaves to their, to their appetites, um, they, they have no self-control when it comes to eating or, or, or those kinds of things. Philippians chapter 3, verse 18, For many walk of whom I often told you and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their stomach, <laughs> whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame. Titus 1.12, um, Paul didn't have a very high regard for the people living on the island of Crete, he said one of themselves, a prophet of their own, said Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. (laughs) So that's how he described the people living on the island of Crete. So the point is we need to have, um, we need to have a balance here. We need to avoid these two extremes, right? Um, uh, Avoiding self-denial and self-indulgence. Somewhere find a biblical balance in there. Uh, 1 Corinthians 8.8 8 says, Food will not commend us to God, 
we are neither the worse if we do not eat nor the better if we do eat. So at the end of the day, does fasting matter, right, um, to God? Is that somehow going to get you in better with God because you fast or you don't fast? According to Paul, it says, no, it's not going to commend you to God either way, either for the worse if you, if you do not eat, uh, nor the better if you do eat. Talking about meat offered idols, obviously, in that context. But John Piper has written a great little book here called A Hunger for God. I'm going to quote from it a couple of times um, here. Um, Desiring God Through Fasting and Prayer. This is a book, if you've never read a book on prayer and you're interested in reading a book on on, excuse me, on fasting and prayer, uh, this would be a good one to go to. But this is what he said, between the dangers of self-denial and self-indulgence, there is a path of pleasant pain, he calls it, and he says it's fasting. Okay? Between the dangers of self-denial and self-indulgence, there's a path of pleasant pain, and it's fasting. So that's fasting exploited, okay? So be careful. We need to make sure we don't go off the deep end uh, either way uh, with this eating food thing, either eating whatever you want or not eating anything at all, right? Well, let's look at what the Bible actually does teach here about fasting. And, and, and we could just say this, fasting is expected. Fasting is expected. Now, notice I didn't say fasting commanded, okay? Hopefully nobody wrote that down. Because nowhere... In the scriptures, um, are we commanded, New Testament believers, to fast? Now, the only time fasting was commanded in the scriptures was uh, to the nation of Israel. um, And this was a fast connected with the Day of Atonement. Leviticus chapter 16, verse 29. Every Jewish person, along with any aliens living uh, among them, were required by law, by the Jewish law, to fast on Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement. So they were to fast all day. Once a year, they were to fast. And that was a command. Um, God, ex- God expected them to do that. Now, we know because Jesus Christ made atonement, right, for our sin through his death on the cross, that command to fast no longer applies to us as New Testament believers. Uh, nowhere else in the Bible can you find a command to fast. But the Bible does make it clear that we're expected to fast regularly and voluntarily. Now, if you haven't taken your Bible and turned anywhere yet, uh, take it now and turn to Matthew chapter 6. And let's see what Jesus had to say about fasting. And this is interesting. Uh, This is in the context of of Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. And he was giving instruction to his disciples about what it meant to be a follower of Christ and and the way a follower of Jesus would live. And so in chapter 6, he's talking about several things. He's talking about when they they were to give. Um, When you give, verse 2, well, really verse 1 is the, the, the key to this whole unlocking, this whole chapter he says beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them otherwise you have no reward with your father who's in heaven now who is he referring to who 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 like to practice their righteousness before men the pharisees right so they like to do all this stuff out in the open for everyone else to see so they could get earthly reward uh, right and he says hey listen don't be like them Okay, you're not going to get any reward from your father. And so he says, let me, let, me get, let me zero in on some issues to be very specific and practical. Number one, when you give, don't ring a bell and say, hey, look at me. I'm putting money in the box right now. Everybody look, here's my check. Here's my cat, right? You don't do that. There's a reason why we have those kind of in the back, kind of discreet. That's between you and the Lord. Nobody else is supposed to see, um, you know, what, what you give. How about when you pray? When you pray, verse 5, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who go out in the street corner and pray, right? <clears throat> go into your closet and, uh, and, and pray in secret. After he talks about giving, after he talks about praying, he talks about fasting in verse 16. Notice, this is Matthew six sixteen. Whenever you fast, let's just stop there for a second. Notice he doesn't say, if you choose to fast, he says, when you fast. I mean, are you expected to give as a believer? The answer is yes, okay? You're expected to give as a believer, right? To give of what the Lord's given you, you give back to the Lord. Are you expected to pray as a Christian, as a believer? Absolutely. Right in the heels of this, are you expected to fast? 
Absolutely. This is right in the line with all the other things we kind of take for granted. Yeah, I, I gave my offering this week. I prayed this week. Oh, I haven't fasted for like six years. Right? I mean, think about it. Oh, I haven't, I haven't put anything in the offering box for the last 12 years. I haven't prayed in the last 15 years, right? You, you, wouldn't, you, you know that'd be wrong, right? And yet some of that might be our testimony when it comes to fasting. And so he says, whenever you fast, not if you fast, so Jesus assumes that his followers will fast on certain occasions, but when they do, he says, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they're fasting. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. So this is interesting. Jesus gave his disciples no direction about how often they should fast or how long they should fast. He's kind of left that up to us, okay? So note that. doesn't say how often. doesn't say how long. Um, he left that open, but he simply tells us how not to fast and how to fast. Okay, so how are we not to fast? Like the Pharisees, right? The Pharisees had developed this tradition of fasting two days a week, Mondays and Thursdays. Remember that the Pharisee um, went into the temple and he said, God, thank you that I'm not like this tax collector. I fast, what, twice a week and I give, right? And he was all proud about his fasting. And, uh, and fasting for the Pharisees had become nothing more than an empty ritual to gain some kind of merit with God. And it was really a, a hypocritical show to get attention um, from, from men. <clears throat> and they claimed that, that Monday and <clears throat> Thursday were the, the chosen days for fasting because that was the day that Moses went up to the Mount, Mount Sinai to get the tablets, to get the Ten Commandments. He went on Monday, he went on Thursday. What? Interesting those two days, Monday and Thursday, were also just happened to be the major Jewish market days when the cities and the towns were crowded with farmers and merchants and shoppers. How convenient, right? So on these days, public fasting would have, would have had the largest audience, and so they got the reward that, that they wanted, and that's all they got. So they, 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 again, they went out there, um, and it was obvious to everyone by their appearance, right, that they were fasting, and they wanted people to know they were fasting. He said, don't be those guys. Don't do that. That's how not to fast. Well, how should you fast? Well, notice, as inconspicuously as possible, verse 17, but you, when you fast, again, notice not if you fast, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by men and by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So in other words, when you are fasting, you should try uh, to not do anything to attract attention to yourselves. You shouldn't try to impress people by how spiritual you are. You should do everything you can to look normal, to look natural, not like you're suffering like some hungry scavenger going, oh, I wish I could eat that, but I'm fasting. You know, or, or you're just like, man, what's your, why are, you know, what's your, oh, I'm fasting today, you know? Um, I mean, sometimes you can't help it, like if you, you know, run out the door in the morning, you're like, um, I'm not going to be eating breakfast this morning, honey, right? And she's like, well, he doesn't like my breakfast, right? That won't go good for you. But you, you probably want to say, pull your, hey, honey, I'm going to fast this morning, you know? So just so she knows, she, she won't take it personally, right? Uh, and it's not like you lost a reward. She won't tell anybody, Right? point is we should present ourselves in such a way that no one can tell by our appearance that we're fasting. You keep it a secret if you can, if it's possible. The only one that should know that you're fasting is God, and God never fails to, to notice genuine heartfelt fasting, and he never fails to reward it. Now, turn over just a few more pages to Matthew chapter 9. Jesus, again, talks about fasting. Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 and 15. This is very interesting. Um, Jesus was asked a question about fasting by the disciples of John. This is interesting. This is uh, Matthew 9, 14. Then the disciples of John came to him asking, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? They noticed, hey, wait, wait, how we're fasting and the Pharisees are fasting. Why aren't your disciples fasting? And I love the answer that Jesus gives. And Jesus said to them, the attendants of the bridegroom cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them, can they? 
But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. John Piper says that these are the most important words on fasting in the whole Bible. Because basically what it's saying, the time to fast is what? Now. The reason why Jesus' disciples weren't fasting was like, hey, this, we were having a wedding here. The bride, you, know, you, don't, you don't show up at the wedding, you know, and they're cutting the cake. No, I'm fasting. You're like, can I have another piece? Give me the one with the big frosting on the corner, right? You're, 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 like, you're looking for, right, you go to a wedding to, to, to enjoy, to eat, and have a good time, and to celebrate. And so he's saying, why would they fast when the bridegroom's right here? But there's going to come a day when the bridegroom's taken away, and then they're going to fast. And so until Jesus, our bridegroom, comes back to get us, we as his bride are expected to what? To fast. And what does fasting do? Fasting demonstrates our deep longing for Christ's return. It shows him how much we miss him, how much we long long for him to come back. John Piper says it this way, fasting is the passion of a lover's quest. Fasting is the passion of a lover's quest. In other words, if you you love Jesus, right, and you, you can't wait for him to return, when you can be, you'll see him and you'll be like him. And so there's, there's times along the, in, in the waiting where you're fasting. And so that's fasting expected. Now, let's, let's just talk about practically how, how is fasting expressed, okay? So if it's expected, well, how do I, what does that look like practically, okay? So uh, th- there's, more to, there's more to fasting than just not eating, okay? Fasting without a purpose is nothing more than a way to lose some weight, okay? That's basically all it would be, right? Without a purpose, fasting becomes a miserable, self-centered experience. And, uh, and those of you that have done this or tried this, I, I guarantee this, is, this has been my experience on occasion when I didn't have the right motive and the right focus for fasting. Maybe I just decided to do it for wrong reasons, selfish reasons, whatever. And, and it was like the whole day, all I could think about was food, Right? And it was like, oh, I'm so hungry right now. I wish I could eat. And I can't eat. And I, then I, the next thing I'm, I'm frustrated. And, I'm, you know, and then you know, I think, well, I made it past dinner, so that's probably good. And then you just go crazy in the pantry, right? Um, did, did that, would that really accomplish what, what you were trying to accomplish, right? It's, just a, it's a miserable, self-centered experience. So, so what are the purposes for fasting given in God's Word? Well, there's many. And uh, Whitney uh, does a good job condensing these purposes into 10 major categories, okay? 10 major categories, uh, really reasons why we should fast. Now, he, he's very careful to point out at the beginning, and I appreciate this, that none of these purposes is to earn God's favor, amen? We're not trying to earn God's favor here. We can't use fasting as a way to impress God and earn his acceptance, We're made acceptable to God through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, not our work. Amen? And so get that out of your mind. This is not how you can earn God's favor, how you can make God happy with you um, by doing certain things. But but what are some purposes uh, for fasting? Number one, to strengthen prayer. To strengthen prayer. And probably um, more than any other uh, point we could make here tonight is that that in, in every scriptural account of, of genuine fasting, it's always linked with prayer. It's always linked with prayer. Just some examples. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4, when he heard that the walls of Jerusalem were still in, 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 in disarray and in rubble, he said, he said, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Um, Daniel uh, in Daniel chapter 9, verse 3, talks about how he was uh, fasting uh, and praying, wanting uh, the, the exiles to return to Jerusalem. Uh, Daniel chapter 9, verse 3, So I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And, and you're going to notice as we kind of list off the rest of these purposes, they're all in some way related to prayer. So that's why, you know, you can't really talk about fasting without talking about prayer. 
Desiring God through fasting and prayer. They're, they're, they're like two sides of the, the coin. They're twins. They go together. Um, you, you can't have one without the other. You, you could pray. You could pray without fasting, but you can't fast without praying. Okay? You, you can pray without fasting. We do that all the time. But you can't fast without praying. Uh, Donald Whitney says it this way. He says, fasting is one of the best friends you can introduce to your prayer life. Prayer life, meet Fasting right? And, and how cool that is when you get those two working together. It's powerful. John Calvin said it this way, whenever men are to pray to God concerning any great matter, it would be expedient to appoint fasting along with prayer. Again, Donald Whitney, there's something about fasting that gives passion to our prayers. Uh, so it has been frequently used by the people of God when there is a special urgency about the concerns they lift before their father. Um, Another author says this, he says, the man who prays with fasting is giving heaven notice that he is truly in earnest. In other words, when you fast, you're showing God how bad you want something. That Lord, I'm, it's not that I'm, I'm, I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna pray that this happens, but Lord, I'm, I'm not just gonna pray, I'm gonna fast. I'm gonna pray and fast. And, and that, that shows you how, how serious I am, how sincere I am, how, how, how badly I would want you to answer this prayer. And so, so, first of all, to strengthen prayer, to support prayer, to supplement prayer, if you will. Secondly, to seek God's guidance, to seek God's guidance. Um, if, if you're seeking um, the Lord's will for your life, a good thing to do would be to pray and fast. Um, we won't take the time to read this. Judges chapter 20, just write that down. Judges chapter 20, verses 19 to 28 um, the nation of Israel was going against the Benjamites, one of the tribes, like the, the 11 tribes. It was kind of a civil war. The Benjamites had committed this uh, atrocious sin, and the other tribes were astonished, and, and, and so they wanted to, they wanted to um, basically take revenge and, and, and punish the Benjamites. And so they went up against the Benjamites two times, and, and they lost. Um, they, they lost all these thousands of, of soldiers, and they finally fasted and prayed and said, Lord, we, we got to know. Do you want us to keep going against Benjamin? They've sinned against you and we're supposed to bring retribution. And, 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 and it says when they fasted and prayed, God said, go up against them and I'll, and, I'll, and I'll use you to defeat them. Interesting to seek God's guidance. I'm sure there's been situations in your life you didn't know what God wanted you to do. And it just seemed like praying wasn't enough, right? You're like, God, I, I need an answer, God. And so I'm going to fast, right? I'm going to fast and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to seek your your will. Number three, to express grief. To express grief, that's, a, that's another reason to fast. Um, uh, you, 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 11 and 12 talks about how when Saul and Jonathan were killed by the Philistines, David fasted as part of the mourning process, the grieving process. He, he, he fasted. Uh, I think, you know, this is not just expressing grief over the loss of someone, maybe it's expressing grief over your own sin. That you're like, you know what? I am so grieved over my sin, I, I'm, I'm gonna fast. Uh, Whitney says it this way, he said, it's never inappropriate for fasting to be a voluntary, heartfelt part of confession. There have been a few occasions when I grieve so deeply over my sin that words alone seem powerless to say to God what I wanted. And though it made me no more worthy of forgiveness, fasting communicated the grief and, and confession that my words could not. And so sometimes you're like, you know what, I confess my sin, but I'm, you know, and I'm just not going to eat because that's how grieved I am over my sin. And I'm going to skip this meal and I'm going to use it as a time to pray and confess and read the word and and, and get right with the Lord. Another reason would be to seek deliverance or protection, to seek deliverance or protection. Ezra chapter eight talks about how uh, Ezra was gonna lead the, 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 some, some exiles back uh, from, from Babylon over to, uh, over to Israel and, and he couldn't bring himself to, to, to ask the king to send the, 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 to, to send the, the normal guards to accompany them because he had talked about how great his God was and how God didn't need any help from any, any man. And, and so he didn't want to say, hey, by the way, could you send your troops along with us just to protect us along the way? So he, he goes to the people and he says, hey, guys, I told them we were going to go it alone. We need to fast and pray because <laughs> uh, we're going through a dangerous route here, and so we need to fast and pray. How about Esther? 
Remember when uh, she was going to go before the king, which is a big no-no. You didn't do that. You could lose your head. Even if you were his wife, if he didn't want you in his presence, he didn't bid you to come, and you walked into his presence uninvited, you could be killed. But she wanted to appeal to him based to, to, to uh, you know, Haman's plot to murder the Jews. And so what did she tell them? Esther chapter 4, verse 16. She said, I'll go, but you tell all the Israelites to, to, to fast, to, to pray and fast, um, so to seek deliverance or protection. Um, another reason is to express repentance, to express repentance. Remember the Ninevites in Jonah chapter 3 uh, when, when uh, Jonah came and preached um, basically the message of damnation, that if they didn't repent, they were going to be destroyed. Remember what the king did? He tore his robes, he put on sackcloth and ashes, and he, he, he basically uh, commanded that the whole city was to fast as, as, a, as a sign of their repentance. Um, I, don't want any, I don't want to see anybody eating a thing because we're going to demonstrate to God that we are truly repentant and broken about our sin. Another reason is to humble yourself before God. To humble yourself before God, that's always a good thing, right? Just to humble yourself before God. Hey, why are you fasting? I just wanted to humble myself before the Lord. Uh, Psalm 35, verse 13. But as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled my soul with fasting. And my prayer kept returning to my bosom. Maybe you struggle with pride. And you just need to learn to be more humble. Maybe, maybe the way you can do that is just, is just a simple fast. Um, another one is to express concern for the work of God. To express concern for the work of God. Um, we already saw the example of Nehemiah, right? When he saw that the walls were broken down and that somebody needed to do something about that, he began to pray. He began to fast. And as he did that, he, he, God um, <clears throat> created a plan in his mind how he could be used to, to, uh, to, to build back those walls. Um, Acts chapter 13, the church in Antioch, which was the first kind of missionary church where the mission, missionaries went out from, from Antioch to the, to the ends of the earth, and it says that they were praying and fasting about the gospel and about the, the going into all the world and being witnesses for Christ, and they were praying and they were fasting about the, the work of God and the, the, the advance of his kingdom. And it was at that moment that he raised up you know, these, these uh, apostles to be sent out. But they were passionate. They were passionate about the, the work of, of, of God and, and what is, uh, how did Jesus teach us to pray? Um, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What? Thy kingdom come, right? Thy will be done on earth as in heaven. So you're all about, you're so passionate about the kingdom. You know what? How about this for an example? We got a team going out to Uganda, right, in a few weeks. How about saying, you know what? I'm going to take maybe, you know, a couple days or a couple meals um, during the time span that they're in Uganda, and I'm just not going to eat breakfast that morning or I'm not going to eat supper that night, uh, and I'm going to use that time to pray. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to use that hour, that 45 minutes, that half hour, that 20 minutes, depending on how fast you eat, right? That 20 minutes that I'd be eating supper, I'd be normally eating lunch, I'm going to take my lunch break at work, and instead of going down to Whataburger and getting my burger, right, I'm going to go to the park and I'm going to pray for that 30 minutes or that 45 minutes, and I'm going to pray for the Uganda team. That would be an example of praying and fasting for the, for the cause of Christ. Um, to minister to the needs of others. To, to minister to the needs of others. Isaiah chapter 58, you can just write that down. Isaiah 58 maybe um, talks about how um, sometimes you fast, right, so that you can serve others and it's helpful to others. So again, hey, I'm going to, you know, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to miss this meal and I'm going to use that time that I would normally be eating and stuffing my face, right? I'm going to go disciple somebody. You're like, I like to stuff my face and disciple people at the same time. That's my favorite thing to do, right? You eat and you disciple. But the point is to say, hey, maybe that time I would normally be you know, eating, I could be serving. I could somehow be involved in ministry. Or maybe the money that I was spent eating out, I could send that money somewhere. I could give that money to someone. I could serve somebody. So you minister to the needs of others. How about this one? To overcome temptation and dedicate yourself to God. To overcome temptation and dedicate yourself to God. How many of you have ever struggled with a tough temptation that just continually defeats you and overcomes you, when's the last time you ever fasted 
and said, Lord, I'm going to fast specifically regarding this particular temptation in my life. And I'm going to pray. And I'm not going to eat this morning. And I'm going to pray specifically about this sin issue in my life. To mortify this sin issue. Okay? Think about the connection of prayer and temptation. How about Jesus in Matthew chapter 4? Remember, he was out in the wilderness. What was he doing for 40 days? Fasting and praying. And guess who shows up? Satan. But guess what? Jesus was ready. Why? Because he would fasted and prayed. And he was ready. He was meditating on Scripture. He was ready for that temptation. And then lastly, um, fast just to express your love to God and, and, and worshiping Christ. Um, I mean, it doesn't have to be any more complicated than that. You're just saying, this is, God, this is just how much I love you. Uh, Anna is a great example. Uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 37. Normally she's associated with the birth of Christ. Here was this godly woman, <coughs> widowed, um, probably early in life. Uh, she was a prophetess, uh, the daughter of Phanuel. She was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then as a widow to the age of 84. So you think about it, she got married, right? Could have got married like 20, 21 or even earlier, seven years, and then she was a widow for what? Over 50 years maybe, right? Um, and she was a widow and what did she do? She le- never left the temple serving night and day with fastings and prayers. She was just, that was just an expression of worship for her. Fasting was just a way that, another way that she could, she could sing, she could pray, she could give, she could fast, right? It's just another way of worshiping the Lord. Donald Whitney says this, fasting can be an expression of finding your greatest pleasure and enjoyment in life from God. Disciplining yourself to fast means that you love God more than food, that seeking Him is more important to you than eating. Wow, that's convicting, Right? That, that, you, that you want to seek God, that's more important to you than, than eating. Job 23, 12, Job said, I've treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary what? Food. I've told you guys about um, a guy that was one of my heroes um, before he passed away and the Lord took him home. His name was Jack Wurtson and he was the president of Word of Life Bible Institute where I went to college my first two years up in the Adirondack Mountains in New York State. And, and this guy had to be in his late 70s, white hair, just vibrant, full of vigor and energy. And he'd come bouncing into the cafeteria in the morning as we're all eating breakfast and we're still trying to wake up, you know. And he comes bouncing in with his golden retriever, you know, after he'd already done his push-ups and his sit-ups, you know. <laughs> he comes walking in. And I'll never forget one morning, he grabs the mic. And he'd come in and say these random things. You never knew what this guy was going to say. But you knew he just had his quiet time because that's what he woke up every morning and would have his quiet time, do his push-ups, do his sit-ups, and he'd take his golden retriever and run down to the cafeteria. Like he's 70 or 80 years old. He gets up, he grabs him, he says, okay, guys, we're going to start a new club here at the Word of Life Bible Institute. It's called the NB, NB, NB Club. And we're like, okay, what's he up to now? Yeah, NB, no Bible, NP, no prayer, NB, no breakfast. That's the new club, okay? So if you don't read your Bible and you don't pray, you don't have breakfast. I'm like, I paid for the, to, you know, the rim and board. I, I got to eat, right? No. So he was just, the whole point was he was passionate. Hey, guys, let's get serious about our walk with the Lord. And what do you care more about, reading your Bible and praying or eating breakfast? And uh, I just never forgot that guy's passion. And just, he was just passionate for the glory of God. John Piper says this. He says, um, he says, if you don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it's not because you've drunk deeply and are satisfied, it's because you've nibbled so long at the table of the world. Your soul is stuffed with small things and there is room for the great. There's no room for the great. God did not create you for this. There is an appetite for God and it can be awakened. I invite you to turn from the dulling effects of food and the dangers of idolatry and to say with some simple fast, this much, oh God, I want you. And so at the end of the day, fasting is, is simply an expression of our soul's hunger for God. That's all it is. It's an expression of our soul's hunger for God. So, so fasting 
can even stimulate and increase our hunger for God. It's really, fasting is an invitation by God or from God to forsake food to fellowship with Him. That's what we're talking about. We, we, we fast from food so we can feast on God. So really, when you think about it, fasting is really feasting. You may not be eating food, but you're feasting on Christ. And so I want to just encourage you practically, okay, practically. What, what might this look like in your life? Uh, something that I've tried to do, I've not been super faithful to do, but it's something that I, I, I want to strive to do. There was a, you know, the days that we have our, um, you know, Wednesday night, the first Wednesday night of the month, right, where we have um, our, our prayer night. Um, typically, I don't have to prepare a sermon, right? So the day is a little more freed up. Uh, that Wednesday, I'm not like cranking out a sermon to preach that evening, and so uh, my day is totally different than the normal Wednesday, and so I thought, you know what, that's a perfect day, right? We're gearing up to pray that night. Why not spend that day fasting? You know, going without a few meals, just one day a month, just one day a month. Say, this is going to be my fast day. Or some of you might say, I- I'm going to do a meal a week. There's going to be just, I'm going to pick one meal a week that I'm just going to say I'm not going to eat that meal, whatever it is. Um, Now, obviously, I know some of you, right, you can't fast because of legitimate medical things, like maybe you're pregnant, and that wouldn't be the smartest thing, right, uh, to be fasting when you're, you know, or you're, you know, breastfeeding or you're, you're, you're with child or whatever. Uh, Maybe, maybe you're, um, you're, you're, you're diabetic, okay? We know what that's like, okay? It wouldn't be the smartest thing to say, hey, Jacob, why don't you just go fast, dude? Come on, be spiritual. Suck it up, man. You know, and die. You, you could die fasting, right? Um, that's probably not the smartest thing. So um, you, you got to be wise. You got to know yourself, right? But maybe, maybe the food thing, again, it may not be food, right? But maybe there's something else that you can say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not watch TV this night of the week because I normally watch it every night of the week and so I'm not going to watch it this week. This night, I'm going to spend that time in prayer. I'm going to spend that time reading the Word. I'm going to spend that time serving in the church or whatever. It's just something practical like that where you can just say no to something, right, for the purpose, for a spiritual purpose. One more quote here um, from Spiritual Disciplines. He says, In giving us the privilege of fasting as well as praying, God has added a powerful weapon to our spiritual armory. In her folly and ignorance, the church has largely looked upon it as obsolete. She has thrown it down in some dark corner to rust, and there it has lain forgotten for centuries. And an hour of impending crisis for the church and the world demands its recovery. In other words, this is not the the age, we're not living in the age where we can go without fasting, okay? There's crisis in the church, there's crisis in the world, right? We need to recover the discipline of fasting and prayer. And you guys will remember my favorite example in the scriptures on fasting is in Matthew chapter 17. You remember the story when the disciples, right, were trying to cast out the demon from that possessed young boy, and they couldn't. And, and so the man came, the dad came to Jesus and said, hey, your disciples tried to cast the demon out of my son, but they couldn't do it. And Jesus was just grieved, and he said, he said man, this is, oh, you have little faith, and, and, and he cast the demon out. And remember what he said? The disciples came to him and said, well, Jesus, we, we, we did the same thing. We tried to do that, and, and the demon wouldn't leave. What, why not? And he said, this kind comes out only through what? Fasting and prayer. And there's been times when I've counseled people who are in very difficult situations and I've honestly told them everything I can possibly think of that the Bible would have them to do in that situation to, to somehow resolve the conflict, to, 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 to deal with the problem. And I'm just, I, I finally just say, you know what? This is one of those situations I think that will only be resolved through fasting and prayer. That, that you got to get real serious about this situation to the point where you're willing to miss a few meals or, or you know, to, to, to pray and to deal with this issue. And, um, and I just think that the Lord is honored by that. 
The Lord's honored by that because he's like, okay, this, these people are serious about getting some, finding some resolution uh, to this problem. So anyway, hopefully that's helpful tonight, guys. Um, again, something that uh, um, we, not many of us probably are in the habit of doing, but it is a holy habit that I want to encourage all of us to, to excel still more in and, and to begin to establish uh, and practice in our lives. All right, let's pray. Father, thanks so much for uh, your word and how um, interesting it is and how, how, how life-giving it is and, and how life-changing it is. And I pray, Lord, as we have just been taught from, from your spirit uh, about what you um, think about fasting and what you desire uh, regarding fasting in, in, in the lives of your people, Lord, that you would help us to um, be able to practically apply uh, what we've heard tonight uh, in very creative ways. Um, there's no right or wrong way to fast, and so I pray that we would never get legalistic about it uh, in our own hearts or as a church, but it'd be one of those things like giving that, that it just happens <laughs> behind the scenes, and nobody really knows how you continue to provide for this church to go on and to do all that we do, but, but it just happens, and I just pray that we would be a church that, that fasts and prays, and, and, and it's just one of those kind of private secret things that just nobody really knows who's doing it and when they're doing it and how they're doing it, but we're, we're just all trying to do it because we know it's what your word tells us to do. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.